Hey, what's up, everybody? Isaac here, Civil Engineering Academy. Excited to be with you on another podcast episode. Today, I bring a special guest on, Robert Otani. He works for a fantastic firm called Thornton Tomasetti. Fascinating interview. He's the chief technology officer there. We talk all about technology that he helped develop in his own firm, how he found his way from engineering into technology, how he's developing apps for his own firm, and really what all firms should be doing, and really kind of the future of where we're headed with machine learning and AI and how these tools can better help you in your workplace and the firm you're working for. There are many firms out there that they're not developing new technology that's helping them at the firm. Sometimes they are falling behind. And so we talk about kind of his timeline of this whole thing and where we're headed. So it's a fascinating interview with Robert. I hope you really enjoy it. I know I did. Reach out to him on LinkedIn. We'll make sure we leave his uh, contact information if you have any questions for him. And uh, we just really enjoyed it. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Robert coming up right after this. Today's podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is awesome. It's 100% real chocolate, 100% delicious. If you have not tried these, I don't know what's wrong with you. They recently came out with a coconut brownie chunk, which is amazing. I'm a big coconut fan, so if you're in the coconut camp, you got to try that. If not, what's wrong with you? Just kidding. They have lots of other different flavors, so go check them out. They have strawberry. They've got cherry lime, peanut butter brownie, coconut. Again, different types of coconut bars, raspberry, double chocolate, and all kinds of stuff. This stuff is way better than a candy bar for you. Definitely a snack you want as you're studying for your FE or PE. It's got 130 calories, only 2.5 grams of fat, 4 net carbs, 4 grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. This is way better than what's out there for other protein bars and definitely better than candy bars. So go check it out at civilengineeringacademy.com slash built and use our discount code of C-I-V-A-C and you'll get a 10% off on anything that you order there. So go check that out. Hey guys, if you haven't already, I want to let you know about our awesome newsletter. If you haven't signed up for the Civil Engineering Academy newsletter, seriously, what's wrong with you? I'm just kidding. Go check it out though. You'll get all the latest episodes that we produce, blog articles, exams, discounts, course material, all this fun stuff is through our newsletter. So if you haven't signed up, go check it out. That's civilengineeringacademy.com slash newsletter. You'll be taken, go sign up and uh, you'll start getting our fun newsletters that we send out usually once a week. So go check it out, civilengineeringacademy.com slash newsletter and go sign up. All right, we are live and recording. Robert, thank you for joining me on the Civil Engineering Academy podcast. I appreciate you doing this with me. Appreciate being here. Thanks for inviting me. I always love to start these off by kind of you telling us a little bit about your own background and I guess what led you into engineering in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, it kind of helped that my dad was an engineer, chemical engineer, but you know, he never really talked about engineering. It was just, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm thinking that's a potential option for me. He was um, mostly by the time I, you know, sort of was aware that he was an engineer, he was in something called marketing. In his company, which was an oil refinery engineering type company, marketing was like business development. So he would have to travel around the world, mostly the Middle East, you know, because of oil refineries and oil processing to get projects. So they're huge projects, you know, big oil refineries. Sometimes he also did power plants too. And then, of course, in high school, I was terrible at English and language and very good at math and science. That was a relatively easy decision for me to get into civil engineering. 
software engineering. Awesome. So can you tell us where you're working today, how you ended up there too? Yeah, I should say that I graduated with a civil engineering degree with a focus actually on construction management from Rutgers University in New Jersey. And uh, that was back in 1990, actually, I graduated. And I did work for two and a half years at a civil sanitary engineering company in New Jersey. It was a great learning experience because there's a lot of field experience, but I didn't really think that I wanted to be there my entire career. So then I went back to college, got my master's at Penn State University in structural engineering. This is dating myself, but I got the job through a New York Times ad in the paper. So a pretty funny story. So I went into the interview in New York City. Gordon Tomasetti was at uh, 6th Avenue. And uh, the, the person that interviewed me basically asked me where I went to college and when I can start. That was the extent of the interview. But the funny thing was the reason I got hired was to be an engineer for the JFK Terminal 1 project. And that project is in the process of being torn down and rebuilt. You know, you're getting old when more projects are actually being torn down. The first phase of the project we're working on, it's not touching the existing terminal, but the next phase will. It's a little bit of a shame, but also just... Full cycle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Give our audience, for maybe those that don't know, a little bit about Tomasetti and I guess what they really special... Yeah. Uh, that, ...are famous for. You know, Thornton Tomasetti, when I started, we were only about 100 people, I would say. We had kind of three divisions, structural engineering, renewal, which is like, uh, you know, renovation of existing buildings and uh, forensics. And we also did some architecture too for industrial type facilities. The architecture we don't do anymore, but it's grown since then. So now we're over 50 offices, about 1700 people. And our the, uh, the practices of the type of engineering we do has grown to 10 practices. So that partially was accelerated by when we emerged with uh, Weilinger Associates in 2015. A very diverse multidisciplinary firm now. Big firm, worked on big buildings, touches a lot of different aspects of civil engineering. Could you talk a little bit about how you found yourself into the technology side? Because one of the big pieces and where I see you a lot online is talking about technology, how to improve technology for a firm. How did you end up there? Yeah, great question. So when I was, I joined Thorne Thomas in 95. I left in 2000. I went to a company called Parsons Brinkerhoff, which is now part of WSP. And then I left Parson Bergerhoff in 2004, went to a company called Arab, even larger firm, you know, 17,000 or more person firm. And during that time, BIM came around. So Revit was introduced with 2003 or four, and principal in charge of our product decided that he wanted to do BIM on his project for the first project in all of Arab, or at least as far as I knew. So I had to learn really, really fast how to implement Revit on a project. This is a brand new software. And people struggle with it today. Imagine when it was a brand new software. Oof. Many weekends learning Revit and even learning about work sharing. Like we did that was a new concept about when we're working in the same model and you know working together with others. So that's how I got into it. And then when I rejoined Thornton Thomas Study in 2008, they decided that every project, or Tom Scarangello, who was the CEO at the time, decided that every project was going to be BIM, which was a big move, particularly at that particular time. So I was instrumental, at least in helping the company both market it externally, but also train people internally about BIM and Revit specifically. 
from there, did you become kind of the tech hub for pushing new ideas? And has that grown into its own department at your company? It has. So again, this is like a, a really a interesting time that 2008, because at the same time, we were working on the Barclays Arena project, which very complex project, very fast paced project. And um, so we had three different software that had to talk to each other all at the same time, which was Revit, more on the design documentation side. We had one of the architects at the time was using a digital project which is a Katia, essentially it's Katia, very advanced software. And our steel, the steel fabrication team was using Tecla. And we had to somehow merge all of the right information at the right time to the various software. We had a small team at that point creating plugins that would allow us to update the data between those software. And the reality is the pro- we would not have finished that project without doing that. That sort of customization of software and plugins having the interoperability between software, as well as soon after that, uh, Grasshopper, I know Grasshopper was released, maybe 2010, I believe. And that I had discovered when I was teaching, I was teaching in architecture school, structural engineering of architecture school, and the students were using it. And, uh, you know, I saw the visual scripting, it made a lot of sense, very logical. And then uh, we said uh, it allowed parametric modeling, so changing geometry on the fly. And we started to use it in our practice. We were one of the first firms to use something called Geometry Gen, which is a plugin for Grasshopper to multiple structural engineering software uh, and BIM software. And uh, yeah, so we were spinning around stadium projects that normally would take us, you know, three weeks. We would do it in, you know, four days, something like that, that long. Did you have to learn code? Did you self-learn that? And then maybe the bigger question there is... Would you encourage other civil engineers to learn code? Yeah. No matter what discipline they're in. That's a great question. It was actually a funny story. I knew how powerful Grasshopper could be, which is a form of visual coding. I had learned programming in college. Again, updating myself again. At that time, it was Fortran and then turned into basic, which is very much like Python, actually. I took a weekend course to learn Grasshopper. Two-day course, sort of immersive course, work all day long and you would you would walk out of there at least having enough sense of knowing where to go to find all the components and what the capabilities of Grasshopper were. And of course, I was fairly senior at that point as I was running projects as opposed to being production on projects. So my skills sort of dropped off soon after. But the person that I went with, Jonathan Schumacher, is who was doing this all the time, he was great at just phenomenal. He became like the mentor for everyone in the firm. We would do training in the offices. So to answer your question, yes, I think people should all be exposed to it, even if they're not users, to understand the capabilities. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of civil engineers, they're overwhelmed by how much college they already have to take, and then they have to pass their exams to become professional engineers. And now we're looking ahead at where technology is going, and we're using so much software to help design stuff. Personally, I wish I had more of that in my own tool belt. But I think some engineers feel like that's another thing that they may have to tack on there. I agree with you. I think it would be a great skill to bring to the table. Yeah, I sympathize with all of that. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have today, as opposed to when I was a young engineer. I mentioned before this, the recording that when I started in 1995, there was three computers for about 100 people. (laughs) So, you know, we did everything on a calculation pad and then 
once in a while we run over to the computer and do some analysis. You know, maybe we had three or four different software, not 30 or 40 like we have now or more. So in many ways, it was easier to learn. It was very structured of how we do now. There's, we have options, many, many, many options. And so that's partly my job now is to build, is to create best practices around technology and software. For our audience, maybe just give very briefly a high level of some of the software you've developed. I've heard you talk about the software Construe, Skipper, Thread, and even those Revit plugins that you've got. But are you developing these for other companies? Can people buy and use these? Or are they just limited to the firm you're with? Or I'm glad you said that because we are actually going to start offering them for other companies for a small fee or some, some of them are free. I mean, a lot of our stuff is free actually. So, you know, even I mentioned Grasshopper. So we have a, a free toolbox called TT Toolbox and it's on the Food for Rhino website. And it's one of the most popular plugins that exists in Grasshopper. Actually, it's like top 10, I think. So over 100,000 downloads of the software. You know, it has fairly straightforward stuff, things that we needed. And so therefore we created the plugin and released it. That's kind of the way it worked. And there's a very nice community in the Grasshopper community for people sharing plugins. Revit started a long, long time ago. That started as a continuation of AutoCAD plugins. So we used to have plugins that did column load, trim area takeoffs, let's say, or translations into, or we would take, let's say, at the time, RAM structures was a very popular software. We would take that information, bring it over to AutoCAD in a unique way in a custom way. And we kept doing that. And so now we have probably 80 to 90 Revit plugins. And they're the most popular plugins we have because people are in there all the time, all in that platform all the time. Construe started kind of with a spin-off that I mentioned with Barclays Center. We understood that having data transfer between software so that we wouldn't have to manually do markup a drawing and then have someone make those changes. We wanted a push button solution. It's a very good software. We just did a podcast, not a podcast, sorry, webinar with Autodesk actually as a partner. And um, I think that they're really making a big push for structural engineering and interoperability. So it's a good combination of uh, workflow that Construe allows. I'm amazed by all the software that you've developed. Yeah, awesome. it's been almost 13 years, probably 13 years doing this. So we're in the situation of actually a large percentage of our time is just keeping the software functioning. All software has bugs. It's not new functionality. It's just bugs that show up in the code. And it's, there's so many dependencies in software these days that, that makes uh, sense. one library makes a change and you have to update your software. We've kind of established a nice timeline here of where you started how you got into this technology field with engineering, some of the software you've developed. Where do you see things going in the future? You know, four seems to be a huge year with AI, machine learning. Where are we headed with some of that? Well, I'm a huge proponent of AI to start with, researching AI, more specifically machine learning since 2015. The first reason is, as one of my developers explained it to me, he says, you know, you take a bunch of solved solutions, designs, call it, you run an algorithm and sooner or later, if you have a, you create a, train a model, you just ask this very smart set of data a question and it'll give you the answer. The answer is never going to be, or likely not going to be exactly the right answer. Although 
I would also argue that there is no right answer typically in structural engineering or any engineering. There's it's close enough or it's just it needs to be close enough. So that excited me because broadly, I see AI as for engineering firms that is is knowledge transfer, is being able to encapsulate engineering knowledge into a thing and then being able to regurgitate it or have access to it when it's needed. I would say the reason why that solves a couple of problems is the first problem is I think that modern software, say from CSI or say from any of them that you buy, they're made for one stage of the design, in my opinion. I'm speaking mostly about structural engineering software. It's for construction documents. But the reality is it's only about 30 or 40% of our design fit or design fees is in construction documents. About 40%, maybe even sometimes 50% is leading up to that is from schematic design to design development through that whole phase. Where we don't need to know the very exact information that, you know, a set of construction documents requires. It's more about getting enough information so that the client and the, the architects can, you know, sort of build upon uh, the design as they get to the CD level. I see at least initially machine learning apps that we've been developing as tools for early design, get enough information to move the process along without having to do a very rigorous analysis and you know full building analysis, and then having to throw 50% of the way because the architectural changes didn't be, which happens a lot for us, or we have value engineering or the project is too expensive for the budget. So it's, I see it as a more efficient way of getting to getting through those early phases when there's a lot of iterations. I think that definitely makes sense. I know you're speaking from the structural engineering field. I work in the utility world and there's software that's used for all kinds of design cases. I work in transmission and the heavy software they use there is PLS CAD. I'm curious from your perspective, I think many people are wondering, am I going to have a job? <laughs> is AI going to take over? Are there certain jobs that maybe you won't need as many people for or even if we're using AI as a tool now, do you need less engineers? And maybe they are overseeing and checking that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think there will be, in certain phases, less engineers required. No question about it. But I also see that as being solving a little bit of a problem. I mean, the only way to make more money in an engineering company is do something faster, which means that you need to do something with less people or less time, say. And that's why I think AI can solve that issue. I don't think it's going to be, an, I think, a number of years before AI gets good enough to where it's going to actually replace people. I think at the best case scenario, it's just we're going to get better, sort of hopefully profitability and, and actually be adapting to the fact that when I tell us to people, you know, again, given how long I've been in the business, we do way more than we used to. Two or three times more, I'm going to say. And our fees have really just incremented with inflation, not with the expectation of what we need to do today. It's really just solving some problems initially. Down the road, it might sort of replace some of what the work that the one to two year engineers do. I almost see that as a positive because I don't see that typically that work, the very mundane, you know, designing a thousand views for me or designing a thousand columns for me is uh, really necessary anymore. And again, one of the things that I'm hopeful for and we're working towards is how AI can actually train engineers faster. The way we used to learn, right, is to do things over and over and over and over again. 
And over time, we make mistakes along the way. And over time, you would sort of use your own AI, your own neural network to understand an answer just by looking at something. So if you're exposed, but the only way to do that is to do a thousand of them, right? Do a thousand beats. But AI can, we can design a thousand beats in a second or minute or something. So if an engineer can get exposed to all of those, the nuances of what makes the right beam size or the right column size really, really early or in a shorter amount of team, time, that's valuable for, for an engineering company. How are, are you using AI in any way right now in your own workplace? Yeah, in pockets, I would say. So the interesting thing is we've made a lot, I mean, of structural engineering applications. And I call them micro apps, design one column or design one beam, those types of, or design a slab. We're, we're starting to expand that, which is nice, but we have to make sure that it works for how the engineers work. On the structural side, we've been using AI for a while in here or there, not, I would say, at scale, I would say. Specific projects, uh, when it makes sense. But the interesting thing is, you know, I've been talking about it internally, AI, and a lot of what my role is to do is to educate people about new technologies. So, especially with AI, because there's so much news about it and there's so many sort of negative things that are t- talked about it that I need to focus on. Yes, there are some things that could be negative, but how do we leverage it for our use in the smartest, best way? So the nice thing about it is that we have many practices beyond structural engineering now using AI. AI is great for predictive analysis. So we're using it for predicting, you know, future climate patterns. And we're using it for facade design. So we're using it for AI to calculate embodied energy, carbon in the facade components, assemblies. We're also using it for calculating energy usage, energy models. And we're using it for a visual detection, which is, we already have a, a separate company called TGD2 that it's, has been spun out of our R&D efforts using computer vision for facade damage. So it's grown significantly. And once people realize, I think, what it can do, there's going to be uses across the company, and not, even outside of technical, even in human resources, or even, we're actually using marketing. We're using like a, our own version of ChatGPT to look into old marketing materials so that we can quickly pull out information. What large language models and OpenAI did in the last six months is pretty unbelievable. I mean, if just technically it's unbelievable, and you can think of it as it can read a million documents and give you a summary in under 20 seconds. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's an exciting year. I think 2024 is, I think we'll see an explosion where we are seeing these tools, types of tools affecting every area of companies we work for, including marketing and other areas. So Robert, this has been a fascinating interview. Thank you for giving us an update on the technology that's used out there. Thank you for sharing your uh, insights as to AI and maybe where we're headed with engineering and AI. I really do appreciate you jumping on and sharing your wisdom. No, I really appreciate you inviting me. It was a great, great discussion. All right. Robert, is there a good way for anyone to contact you if they had more questions or wanted to ask you anything? Yeah, I mean, uh, LinkedIn is always good. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. They can also just email me directly, you know, rotani at thorntomasetti.com. That's probably the most direct way, but LinkedIn is good too, because I try to post often when something comes to mind or I have an event coming up. So those are probably two best methods. 
Well, perfect. We'll go ahead and link those in our show notes as we get this rolling, but I appreciate you doing this. I hope you have a great weekend. All right. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Civil Engineering Academy podcast. Thanks for joining me today. If you want, please leave a review or a comment or a like. They definitely go a long way and share it with a friend because why not? It helps. Hey, if you're interested in becoming a guest, feel free to shoot me an email, Isaac at CivilEngineeringAcademy.com. And if you know anyone or yourself personally, definitely check out our website, CivilEngineeringAcademy.com, where we can help you on your journey to become a professional engineer, whether that's to help you pass your FE or your PE, or just get great career advice. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of this podcast and have an amazing outreach to other civil engineers, also shoot me an email and we'll be there to help you. Anyway, thanks for joining me today and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.